Hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing Thor, Love and Thunder. I'm your host, Bill George. With me as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hi, guys. hey Gentlemen, hello. What's going on, Bill? What's up, AJ? Not too much. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. How are you? You just got back from a uh, trip to the Midwest. I did. I went to Chicago. Ah, the land of winds. City of lights. It was outstanding. Yeah? Great How trip. Great trip. Lake uh, Michigan? Mead? Ontario. We walked We walked around. We went to Navy Pier. Love it. It was beautiful. Uh, I guess most related to this show, uh, I went to a comedy show at Second City. Oh. Uh, where How? a lot of SNL alums got their beginning. They do uh, a combination of sketch and improv. Uh, it was very good. Love it. Um few follow-ups to Chicago. Take on deep dish pizza. It's fucking gross. Yeah, I mean, to quote John Stewart, it's not pizza, it's a casserole. Uh, so I much prefer New York style. For Did sure. you get like anything? But we, but we got it, because we got to get it. Any other Chicago fare? Get like Chicago Red Hots, get any dogs? Chicago dog, for sure. Italian beef sandwich. Threw that down the what? gullet. Uh, oh, gotta love that. <laughs> ate a lot. Had the best burger of my life. Uh, you say that well. every time you do this trip. That is absolutely false. Yeah. You say that you leave Fenway and you're like, guys, best burger of my life. No, the best burger you had, it was in like Idaho, then it was in Columbus or something. No, the best prime rib I had was in Boise. Jesus. The best burger I ever had was (laughs) in Chicago at Kuma's Corner. That was what I had as my top burger for years. But then this year I went to Al and it took the cake. It took the cake. I thought you went back to the, the original top contender for best burger in America. I went there as well. But that, but that did not. Oh, it wasn't as good the second time. It didn't hold a candle to Auschwitz, which is like the new. So one. what made the what made it the best burger you've ever had? Because the picture you sent me, the burger to bun ratio, fucking awful. The how, wait, how so? In what direction? Too much beef? Uh, no, too much bun. Now the bun is so light, you don't notice that. That's not a factor. It's are you a mush it down guy? Are you a smash I mean, these it are thinner guy? patties, so by default, it's kind of like that. It's a double burger. There's not a lot on it. It's 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 all about the burger itself. It's you know, it's got rich flavor. It's moist, all those things. But then it also still has like the charbroiled on the outside, but without being like gritty. You know what I mean? It's just I can't explain it. I can't yeah. put it into words. It was basically a religious Did experience. You, no, so Bill tried ecstasy, so that's good to know. <laughs> Did you wash it down with a nice glass of ice cold whole milk? No, no, no. That's a dessert <laughs> uh, drink only. First of all. Uh, no, I had an old fashioned. Oh, look at you! Yeah, oh, indulged in some cocktails. It was nice. a bachelor party weekend. Things were drank. Can I parlay this into a discussion about films? By all means, because because we're talking food, we're talking Chicago. I just watched the best. I know I don't have a lot of like uh, TV takes on this program. I mostly just sit here and uh, make fun of the two of you. Sure. I watched the best TV show I've watched in like I don't know how long. Five years, ten years. Wow. Jeez. The Bear on Hulu was tremendous. Could not recommend it any higher. Takes place in Chicago at a restaurant, which is why okay. I, I was about to say, where where's the connection yeah, here? Going? Okay, okay. And the the entire show takes place like in this tiny little Chicago beef sandwich restaurant. Ask me anything. Uh I know about it. It's queued up. Uh, executive produced or something by Maddie Matheson. Big fan of him. He's um, a famous chef. Yes. So I am excited. I, I guess what makes it so good is it the food aspect. The Chicago aspect. I don't really know. I don't really think too much about these things, but like every character in it is awesome. And 
they don't waste your time and give you too much backstory or anything like that. Like every character just works and it's great. The second to last episode of this show was the most stressful television I've ever watched in my entire life. And like, again, the entire thing takes place in a restaurant. And like, for those that don't know, like the three of us have backgrounds working in retail. I, for one, have a background before that working in restaurants. So like a lot of those like very particular, like, you know, you have that dream where like, oh, there's like four tables and they're all waiting for you to come give them fucking drinks. And like that thing, like it like triggers like all those uh, feelings. And I don't know. It was just tremendous. Also, great runtime. Each episode's a half hour. There's eight episodes. It's like, it feels like, which is something that's so rare these days, like it feels like it takes as long as it needs and no longer to actually tell the story. Is it miniseries or is there going to be a season two or what? Uh, the way they ended the season, it would definitely appear as if there's a season two in the works, although I certainly don't know if that is uh, a confirmed thing that's out there yet. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Love Highly it. recommend wow. it. Take that to the cool. bank. Bill, what did you watch this week besides Thor? Sure. Yeah, we'll get to Thor when we, when we do the Should I Go See It for sure. Uh, for some follow-ups, I rewatched Michael Clayton with uh, George Clooney. Uh. Uh, first time I think I've seen it in full sense theaters. It popped up on Netflix as like trending now for some reason. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. It's been a while. Uh, and it was great. Probably even better than I remember. Uh, and it's one of the movies often cited when you talk about 2007. Uh, there's a lot of... For those that don't know, in the film snob world, (laughs) there's a lot of debate uh, about what is the best year in cinema history. And then the years that continue to come up, 1984, uh, 1999, 2000, 2007, those are kind of the main ones that tend to come up in most arguments. And 2007 is one that I've leaned towards uh, pretty regularly. Seven was stacked. We got, uh, I mean, I can just, I can run off a few off the top of my head. We had like Eastern Promises. We had Atonement. We had No Country for Old Men. We had Juno. We had There Will Be Blood. We had Zodiac. Zodiac. We had the first Transformers movie, which was massive. We had Ocean's 13. We had uh, Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Yeah, 310 of Yuma. Superbad came out in 2007. Like, it was a... Yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a big, big year. year. I I'm I could argue that one as best best film year, and Michael Clayton is part of that as well. It's a fantastic drama. So yeah, that was a fun that was a fun revisit. Uh, does it still hold up? I mean, it's it's one of my favorite uh, dramas, one of my top Clooney movies of all time. Um, it's nice because it's it, it's you know it's a grown up movie made for grown ups. It's just like a, a a smart drama that you just follow. The acting is outstanding. Tilda Swinton in in a in a in like not a weirdo role, like a, like an actual straightforward role that she got to play, and she kills it because she's so amazing. Uh, the only thing that doesn't hold up as much is the tech piece because this was again 2007, so pre-smartphone, um, and there's some some sort of story that hinges on not being able to contact one another. Stuff that like wouldn't exactly be the same now, but you know it's from its place in time and it does a nice job. So, uh, yeah, Michael Clayton. If you haven't seen it, it's it's on Netflix. Worth a watch for sure. Uh, and then another one that I rewatched for the first time since theaters was Logan, which was still very, very good, but it didn't grab me in the way that it did when I first saw it. I don't know if it. I don't know if it's the knowing what? what's going to happen piece of it, but it felt a little slower to me this time. Um, it's still great. It's still outstanding. But I remember the first time I saw it, I was. I really marveled at it. I, I cried at the end. Like, it really took me away. When I watched it this time, it was more just kind of watching it. I don't know. It didn't didn't grab me quite the same way. 
but it still works. It's still incredible. Yeah, I feel like when Logan came out, right, there was probably early stages of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And what DC had put out to that point was basically like Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises, right? These like characters grounded in uh, reality, hyper violent. And Logan was like, well, we can we can do that with a character that we know and love with a series or a, a, a trilogy at that point, right? There was a couple of Wolverine movies that just got significantly worse as time went on. And it basically reinvented itself as the last chapter of Hugh Jackman's Wolverine. And I watch it probably once every nine months, once every year. And really? I, really? Interesting. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I don't have a big bot library on iTunes, but it is one of those films that I have bought because I just, I loved it so much. That opening scene where yes, they try to car, yes, yes. take his car and you're like, oh, like, oh, they're gonna get in a fight, and then he just mercilessly delimbs everyone. You're like, holy shit, okay, this is what this movie's gonna be, and uh, it just sets it just sets the pace and the the tone from from early on. Yeah, the action holds up for sure. Hugh Jackman's performance stands up for sure. The the effects for the the young Wolverine clone, not the little girl, but like the actual clone of Hugh Jackman, incredible. There's a lot of amazing stuff in there. I just don't know. I don't know why it didn't strike me quite the same, but that's not to take any away from it. It's still still amazing. And the last thing I watched was a first-time watch, which was Way of the Gun. Um, so James Caan passed away. Uh, it's also sort of in the news. And I was on Twitter, and I follow Christopher McQuarrie, the writer-director, and he was tweeting about his experience directing James Caan in that movie because it was his directorial debut, and I realized I had never seen it, so I decided to give that a watch. Um, very of its time, from the year 2000. James Caan's great in it, for sure. And now I've officially seen everything that Christopher McQuarrie has ever directed uh, and most of what he's written, so I've kind of completed that collection. Uh, but it was good. It was good. If you're, I mean, I usually, if I'm thinking of James Caan, I go to his role in Misery with Kathy Bates, the Stephen King uh, film. So that's usually my go-to performance that I'm most familiar with him from. Obviously, The Godfather as well. But uh, yeah. So uh, if you're looking for a movie. I usually go with Elf, uh, starring Will oh Ferrell and God. directed by John Favreau. Christmas in July. I try to course uh, Hannah <laughs> into watching it. She passed. Uh, on it, but uh, R.I.P. to a legend yeah, um, of the game. Craig, you watched some things as well? Yeah, I see we wrote Craig watch stuff in the notes, and I, I, I know that I watched everything everywhere all at once, and I watched something else, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> and it wasn't the bear. What the fuck was it? Uh, anyways, everywhere, everything everywhere all at once, I think, was a little bit of a victim of the hype train, because I enjoyed it quite a bit, but it didn't like rock my world or mm-hmm. like put me into like a the fetal position, like crying on the floor, like I was sort of expecting it to. But then again, I had those expectations going in, so maybe I blew it on that front. Yeah, yeah. No, they did all the practical all effects stuff in that movie is fucking awesome, though. We actually we so speaking of buying things on iTunes, we did buy that on iTunes because that's the only way that you can get it. Oh, really? Right now, anyways, and we watch the bloopers. There's like a there's like a bonus content blooper thing, and like I didn't realize until watching the blooper thing. And I've also heard that the director's commentary cut is also really good and enjoyable. Bill. Although who has time True. for that? Um, the blooper thing shows a lot of their like funny moments, obviously like on set, but it's it it makes you realize that how many nice. of those effects were practical effects, and you're like, oh my god, like that's really fucking cool that they did that that way. So as like a piece of filmmaking, I thought you know it's very very cool and interesting, and as a story, it's also it's really good, but it just didn't like 
rock my shit. (laughs) Change your life. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Meanwhile, we have some news to cover. AJ, what is in the news? Uh, James Cameron was interviewed recently about his next Avatar film, uh, which we discussed when the trailer dropped just a few weeks ago. Uh, He said, quote, I don't want anybody whining about length when they sit and binge watch television for eight hours, he said. I can almost write this part of the review. The agonizingly long three-hour movie. It's like, give me a fucking break. I've watched my kids sit down and do five one-hour episodes in a row. Here's the big social paradigm shift that has to happen. It's okay to get up and go pee. Bill, (laughs) you buy Jim? Uh, I do to a degree. Uh, I've, I've called people out on this before when I've had... Friends of mine or people tell me that a movie they watched was too long and it was, you know, two and a half hours or whatever. And I'm like, and I know these people and I'm like, you just watched, you told me you watched five hours of Severance the other day. Like, what are you talking about? This movie is too long. So I completely uh, buy his argument from a, from a, from a logistical standpoint, like it's a factual standpoint. The difference though, to me is of course pace because there is a big difference between length and pace it's not necessarily the length of the film it's sort of what you do with it it's not how big it is it's how you use it (laughs) exactly right so when you think of a movie like you know inception uh i'm gonna go to christopher nolan because we've talked about him before as being very good at pace and good at conveyance you know inception is over two and a half hours long but that's a movie that everybody's seen made 800 million dollars and everybody loves it nobody ever talks about that being too long but then they watch Avatar, and that's two and a half hours long. And they might say, yeah, it is too long, but they're the same length. So clearly pace is a bigger factor. But on its merits, I do agree that there are some people who are hypocritical when it comes to how much time they are willing to spend to sit and watch something. You? It depends on the person and their life. And if you asked me this two years ago, I would say, fuck it. Like, I'll watch a three-hour movie. I have a child now. Like if I finish dinner and everything's wrapped up, baby's in bed, and it's like 7 45, 8 o'clock, and I'm on iTunes and it says 245, I'm like, <laughs> absolutely not. Like, I'm going to be in bed in an hour and a half. So I can easily pop on an episode, get a fix, wind down, watch something, go to bed and be okay. I am just a person that does not like pausing movies halfway through to like wait until there's a, another time to finish it. Like if I'm going to watch a movie, I'm going to sit down and, and give it my full attention and watch it all the way through. So I, it's... Well, you're not... I don't think you're the person this is directed at because you, like you said, you'll watch an episode and go to bed. I think he's trying to get at the same... The people who will sit with their laptop on their chest in bed watching The Office for six hours and then at the same token be like, oh, I don't know about that that Lord of the Rings movie. But there are people out there who do who do the other, and I think I think pace has to do with it, and I think that people are just re have rewired their brains in terms of the difference between television and film, and people see that runtime on a film and they freak out. But when they're watching one episode at a time, they don't notice. It's very strange. It's very strange, but it is it is a phenomenon that does happen. So I I, I buy his argument from that sense. Tell you what, though, James Cameron has us. He's got some takes, man. Yeah, he's, he's just a fucking old grumpy that man. That guy's got some spicy takes. Yeah, he makes well, a decision and he freaking, he he's goes. got conviction. Yep. <laughs> yeah, he's made his money. He's not worried about it. Gotta respect it. Uh, AJ, another story in the news. The Duffer Brothers discussed their Stranger Things spinoff show on a recent podcast. 
They said it will not carry over any characters from the original show and will be 1,000% different, according to them. Quote, the most important connective tissue, I would say, is the storytelling sensibility of it, they explain. There is story that connects to Stranger Things, but it really is more about how we're telling the story. End quote. They added they will not be helming the show and are looking for someone else to pass the baton off to. AJ, would you watch a Stranger Things spinoff that is tangentially related, or at least related in storytelling sensibility? I'll give them one episode. And we're going to go into Stranger Things later. But nope. I'll give him one episode. <laughs> one, they got one and chance. And if it doesn't grab me, out. That's it. I'm passing. They're they're they've. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into it. But there's a problem. We've talked about it. Is that it's okay to catch that lightning in a bottle and just be okay with it happening once. Season one of Stranger Things is a perfect example. Just like you hit it, it was damn near perfect. And then just let it fade out to oblivion. It's kind of like The Killers, right? Hot Fuss is a perfect album. And then everything that came up after that was just like, it's never gonna, it's never gonna hit that thing. Wildly inaccurate. Deliberately antagonistic. Now you're, yeah. Objection, badgering, <laughs> or objection, argumentative. Uh, yeah. Um, permission yeah, I, to treat the witness as hostile. Is it hostile? Yeah. <laughs> I love the Killers. They're my favorite band. You know this. Go on. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know. Uh, I, I just, yeah. I After what I've seen happen to Stranger Things, it's, it's Game of Thrones too. It's like, do I need a prequel about House of Dragons? No, because like I was so let down with the original that 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 disappointment's unfortunately not to my fault, to their fault. I'm blaming them. It's going to carry over. It's the old carryover clause. Yeah, I'm with you. At House of Dragons, I'm in the same boat. I'll I'll give it an episode and uh, and we'll see. But I'm no longer, I am no longer part of the uh, either sunken cost fallacy or the the completest. Like I, I'm over that. Like if I don't like something, I'm going to stop watching it. Like I don't care. Um, I've reached that point. So I'm with you on that. And wait, let me interrupt one more time. You know what really f- fucking pissed me off? Is I got an email. I I'm, I have a subscription to Masterclass, and it was like, "Meet your new instructors, the Duffer Brothers, on like writing fantastic TV." And I was like, "These motherfuckers <laughs> put out one show for four seasons, and now they have a twelve-hour Masterclass." Yeah, that's huh? that's absurd. That is absurd to me. So I think the hype on the Duffer Brothers is high. Um, and I would hope they prove me wrong, but as of right now, I don't think they will. Last story, fun one. The infamous costume worn by George Clooney and Batman and Robin will be soon up for auction. The starting bid for the quote-unquote nipple suit is set at $40,000 cash and expected to go much higher. Bill... What piece of Hollywood memorabilia would you bid the most on if money was no object? All right, let me let me pull my let me pull my list here. So you have a list? I I I would create a list. I was ready for this. Um couple things. First, there's one full category of things that I would I would say are cars. So like James Bond's Aston Martin, the DB5, uh, the DeLorean, the Jurassic Park Jeep. Uh, the Tumblr, 
the Shelby GT500 Eleanor from Gone in 60 Seconds. All of the, these cars I would love to own. Okay. Uh, a couple other like random things. I'm going to get to my number one in a second. The, a couple other random things I would like to have. Uh, the actual Iron Throne would be kind of sick. Uh, the Pulse Rifle from Aliens I've always loved the design of. The T-800 arm from Terminator that's like in a case, like the arm like, that came off. Um, or a smaller one, like the top from Inception, like the actual top yep. from the film. That'd be sick. Oh, just carry it around in your pocket. Yeah. So those are some things I thought of. But my number one, number one would be one of the actual Captain America shields. Oh, wow. I mean, I would, come on. Like that, I would, I would pay top dollar for that if I had said top dollar. What about you? I have one guess at something you might want, but I want to know what your what your things are. Wow. I got two. I could oh I only have two that I would bid on. But what's your guess? Bagger Vance's golf clubs? <laughs> <laughs> no. Nope. Okay. No, I'll give you one more. That was the only one I wrote down, literally. Shooter McGavin's okay. golf clubs. <laughs> there is only two things okay. that I would bid on. The first is Harrison Ford's hat from Indiana Jones. Ooh, okay, yep. Good one. Like, pinnacle, like, that's why I love so many, like, action-adventure movies, yeah, games, yeah. whatever, is that my childhood love for Indiana Jones. So you want the just, hat from Raiders that he, like, reaches and grabs. I yeah. want the hat, and I would wear it every time I got out of the shower <laughs> with just underwear on. The second thing I would bid on is the one and only... Double-sided dildo. Oh, God. From Requiem? From Requiem for a Dream. I, yeah, okay. I actually, I think that did come up in my brainstorming. Not to be crude with it, but imagine, picture this. House party. It's Christmas time. There's, you know, lights, people drinking, mistletoe. And in 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 the centerpiece of your room, right, on a bookcase, is a backlit, like, backlit acrylic case. Yep. With that fucking double-sided hammer sitting in it and then like what does the plaque say on it it says ass to ass obviously (laughs) (laughs) darian naranovsky's requiem for a dream people look it up uh so yeah those are my two love it love it uh well hold on let me catch let me catch my breath and we're gonna go on to our next segment should i go see it yep uh, this week we will be talking about Taika Waititi's Thor, Love and Thunder. After the break, brought to you by Valvoline. <laughs> did you guys see Thor together or did that not work out? No, it's it a 9.30 ah, movie. Come on, the listeners love a good BJ and AJ date night. Uh, according to imdb.com, Thor enlists the help of Valkyrie, Korg, and ex-girlfriend Jane Foster to fight Gore the God Butcher who intends to make the gods extinct. Bill, should I go see it? Yes. I gave it a yes. Um, I don't usually do number scales, but if you're looking at a number, I'm going to give it a 6.5 or a 7 out of 10. Soft yes. It is a... It's a yes, for sure. It is... Uh, I believe on my the, the review I wrote, the one sentence mentions that it is enjoyable enough. Uh, which is sort of where I'm at with it. Uh, it does not hit the same heights as Ragnarok, uh, and it treads a lot of the same ground. So that's why it's a little bit lower on the, the scale. Um, for those following the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, 
the first two Thor movies, well, the first Thor movie introduces Thor. It's one of the original solo movies from phase one. And it's got a very regal, you know, Asgardian Shakespearean thing to it, directed by Kenneth Branagh. And then Thor 2 is probably the worst movie in the MCU. So with Thor 3, Ragnarok, Taika Waititi revamped the image of the character, the sensibility of the movie. Um, It's much, much more comedy-based, and they did an amazing job. And that freshness, that novelty of Ragnarok was just mind-blowing. I know it's a lot of people's top MCU movie, or at least most watched or re-watched MCU movie. So this goes back to that same well, but it doesn't have the novelty, obviously, because now we're in the fourth Thor film. And, you know, very enjoyable, very well done. Um, but it's just not, it's, it's not quite the same. A few questions for you. Um, you. You talked about the sensibilities, tone, persona, whatever you want to say, of how uh, Taika's first attempt at Thor was... So great, right? There was a huge comedic element to it. His use of music and the soundtrack and the way it's cut is just fun, energetic, right? You say this time it gets lost. My question is, is now with the two successful Thor movies being the last two, like has Taika set the tone of what Thor and the Guardians are moving forward? Or is there room for other directors to interpret these characters and how they present themselves on screen. I think as successful as this was, this was the biggest opening weekend for any Thor movie. Uh, so, and I've already heard them talk about potentially doing another. I assume that it will be in this mold. So I think Taika has definitely hit on something that is popular and works. Um, I think when I was referring to the tone piece, that's still there. What's different in this movie versus Ragnarok is, you know, he is known for dramedy, but more heavily on comedy. And in this movie, the drama that they go for is a lot more intense and tragic. So when you're going from the the, the frivolousness of the comedy to a serious scene, the tonal whiplash is just much stronger. It's just a much more aggressive switch up when you go scene to scene compared to something like Ragnarok, which has some dramatic moments, but it's it's much lighter. Uh, and I'm not knocking the the drama elements. I think they're done well. I think Taika can do both, as we saw with Jojo Rabbit. But it just makes for a little bit more of a tonal whiplash for the audience. Uh, and so it doesn't, I don't know, it didn't work as well for me uh, as Ragnarok. They also make Christian Bale's character. He's new to the MCU, Christian Bale as the villain. Uh, he gives a very strong performance. He puts a lot of effort in... Um, and they give him a sympathetic backstory. They make him a good villain, a good complex villain. But his background is also very tragic. So again, we have more tragic elements in here. And when you counter that with some of the absolute goofy, crazy silliness that Taika puts out there, it just makes it a little more, a little harder to, to stick the landing tone-wise. Uh, one of the things that threw me off was, so the trailer is all over television, all over YouTube, everywhere, right? And then they show in the trailer that Jane's back. And she is in full Asgardian armor. Uh, I was thrown off with that. I haven't seen it yet, but like, was it worth it to have that kind of secret and that character come back in a trailer rather than just waiting for that to be a big reveal in Act One? Uh, I mean, for me, I'm anti-trailer to begin with, so I would have, I would always save those types of things for the actual film. I wouldn't do anything in a trailer that isn't already in. Act one. But 
I think that it does help sell the movie in the sense that it adds a new element that no one has seen before. Because if you don't have her in the trailer, then it's really going to look even closer to Ragnarok and it's just going to be kind of more the same. So I think as a ploy to let the audience know there's something new here to see, I think it makes sense to put it in there. And I, even without watching trailers, I knew she was back in and I knew she was uh, in it as the Mighty Thor. So uh, it didn't change much for me. But personally, yeah, I, I would rather keep those things secret But because I'm going to see the movie anyway. But I understand from a marketing standpoint what they were doing there. Uh, and then my last question I have for you is, so we know how poorly The Eternals was, right? We know how disappointing Doctor Strange was. We have all these questions left unanswered from the MCU TV shows, right? Um, does Thor help fill in the gaps of like where we're going or could be going? Or are they just kind of kicking the can down the road until something else comes up? Yeah, so that's an issue. Um, that That's really one of my major knocks against the movie is it does not feel connected to much else. Um, even Ragnarok has the Hulk in it and it kind of connects a little bit with what happened to the Hulk at the last end of the last movie. Like there's still some connection there. This movie has no real connection to much. Um, and so this whole phase of Marvel feels a little aimless right now. Kevin Feige has come out and said that it will be clear soon what we're working towards. But without having that context, like we used to with the infinity saga, uh, it does make it a little trickier. Like maybe they'll retcon this into importance. Um, but so far it kind of just felt like another solo time filler. Um, and there's also not enough of the Guardians in it. The Guardians are... Because, when you again, when we leave Endgame, uh, it, it appears as though Thor is joining the Guardians and they will go on joint quests. And so the opening of the film has them together, but they fuck off pretty quick and it just becomes a Thor movie. Um, and so that felt like a little bit of a wasted opportunity as well. Um, I just... I would rather have... Uh, either more grouping or more of a sense of what's happening in this phase. So I knew what this was leading to. Um, they once again have obviously two post-credit scenes, a mid-credit and a post-credit. And once again, the mid-credit scene introduces a new character um, that we haven't seen before, which is exciting from a casting standpoint. It was a good scene. I'm excited about it. But it just, again, feels like it's just adding more layers that we don't know where they're going to begin with. The other thing about that is even with the Guardians as part of this movie, they never mention or discuss Gamora whatsoever. And again, when we left Endgame, they were going on an adventure with Thor to go try to find or retrieve whatever the, the other Gamora. And that doesn't even come up. So like, we have no follow-up. I mean, oh, Guardians Volume 3 is one of the next movies coming out. So presumably Guardians Volume 3 will learn about it. But then the next time we see the Guardians since then and there's no mention of it is like just a little disappointing in terms of lack of connectivity. So similar to Doctor Strange, it just doesn't feel connected enough to make it worth it. Like they're going to ask of us at Marvel this much homework of us as an audience. Like I want to start to see some some results there. So, again, entertaining, worth watching, a lot of great sight gags and some running jokes, uh, but it's not a game changer or like any sort of breakthrough. Uh, let's segment. Uh, I know we got a lot to talk about in the world of TV, so let's um, let's switch over to. Our last segment, uh, Netflix and Bill. Let's talk about a few things that we've wrapped in the last two weeks. Yeah, we had two big finales since our last recording. We had Stranger Things, uh, Volume 2, Part whatever. I don't even know what the fuck they call it. Season 4. Season 4. Season four. And the finale of The Boys. So Season 3. Yep. Let's, let's talk about Stranger Things. And before we get into it, 
Spoilers? We got it. We, I mean, right? I don't need. To, I don't necessarily need to even go into spoilers to talk about how much I disliked this. All right, these final he's going episodes. right in, boys. All right, let's go for it. What do you got? Uh, I didn't like it, AJ. I didn't like it. I mean, we talked extensively last time about the issues that we were having with this season as it went, and that at that time we had only seen the first, however many. Now we've seen the final two, which had a collective runtime of seventeen uh, days. days or whatever. <laughs> yeah, um, it was really four hours or so. I think two and a half, and then one and a half. Um, but all the issues that I had with the season leading up to these two were exacerbated even more by the finale. Um, and I think that there was one glaring, critical writing issue that I had uh, in the very towards the very end in terms of how they handle uh, wrapping up a certain storyline or, or sequence and move into the next one. Uh, which hopefully if you've seen it, you know what that means. And if not, I was vague enough. Uh, but that was a huge blunder on my, I think, from a writing standpoint that felt unfulfilling to the audience. Yeah, I don't know. You're being way too vague. Just spoil it. Spoilers, folks. Yeah. The, the time jump. Oh, yeah. So after the... after the-, the time jump in the final episode, I think, was horrendous decision-making and and absolutely unconscionable after the world splits open and it literally goes to black and it says two days later i was i was beside myself beside myself that they would fucking screaming at the horrendous yeah no i agree oh very bad very very bad (laughs) it didn't it didn't it didn't didn't affect craig at all yeah i mean that was probably one of the i mean at that point i'm like i'm like numb to everything i've been watching this for like weeks it's like just whatever man yeah, just Whatever. kill me. Just end my life. <laughs> That's how bad this TV show. Here's the thing, Bill. Um, my issue, and we'll, we can go back and forth, but my issue is that these masterclass Duffer brothers are just hitting the replay button on everything. Like, nothing in these characters' lives have changed since the end of season one. It's just a rinse and repeat of everything over. And then I see posts on Facebook and on Twitter, how people are claiming this is the best show that's ever been made. It's like, are you people fucking stupid? Are you dumb? You got to be dumb. Like, how do you how do you look at this and be like, you know what? Fucking, I don't, I don't know. Bravo. I don't know because I know lots of people that say that. I got, I got people I work with that are telling me how great it is and how they're excited about it. And I'm like, what? It's are we awful. watching the same show? Like, just how kill is this somebody. entertaining? Just fucking kill a character off. Yeah, well, they do do that, and it's the, the the worst choice to make. Well, yeah, I mean, you're so we said spoilers, right? That that what irritated me also is that you basically killed the exact same type of character that you killed the season before. It's like the asshole outcast, but really has a heart of gold, right? Mm-hmm. Eddie is the same character that that uh, what's her name's brother was. Oh yeah. I was more concerned with the fact that... Billy. Yeah, Billy. I was more concerned with the fact that Eddie was the only interesting addition to this entire season. Like, he, his his performance was great. I was actually on board with him as an interesting addition. Uh, and that's the one that they get rid of. Like Millie Bobby Brown's overacting. The whole side quest to go to Utah and then find Eleven is garbage. I don't know how much I blame her, though, as much as I... That's... I. I th- have you have you seen her on like the Tonight Show? She just it's just these theatrics. That's what I think. That's exudes. what I think. That's what's on the page. I blame the masterclass people. 
The Duffer Brothers. I think that's what they put on the page is yell and scream. And so she does it. I think that, uh, I don't know, everything I feel like I'm going to say, I've covered it in the last time we talked about it. I think a lot of the characters are worthless. Yeah, I know. I it's know. Just, I know. It's, just, it, it's worse. It was even worse than I anticipated. Yes, I agree. I just, I, I, I will do a couple, two shout outs, right? I will, I will hate watch the next season just to finish Oh, yeah, it. me too. Uh, <laughs> uh, Sadie Sink, who plays Max Mayfeld, she got a really big portion of this season, and I think she did a phenomenal job, right? I think she is whatever script they gave her, I think she did a good job of balancing the emotion and, and the the comedic aspects of it. So I, I They gave her the most complexity for sure, and she did a nice job with it. Absolutely. And then uh Maya Hawk, who plays Robin, I think I actually like her character a lot. I think She's always great, yeah. I think it's overwritten in some aspects and a lot of things are just really exaggerated. But I think the way that uh she and uh hair do play off each other I think is a really good dynamic <laughs> duo. Yeah. Say his name. Steve. Steve. Is this Steve? Steve. AJ or Becky? Steve. AJ's trying to distance himself from Steve Harrington. Uh but it seems like all all of all of our all of our male cast members have just got worse with acting over time. Like Yeah. Yeah. Oh, definitely the definitely the skinny the kid who used to be the main kid, but they seem to have D Oh my D, god. Uh, Bowl cut? No, 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 no. He's fine. It's the the Finn Wolfhard? That kid's brutal. That kid is brutal. Like he hit puberty and it like, got wait, weird. That, wait, that, wait, Eleven's Eleven's. Yeah, uh, Mike. Boyfriend? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mike, Mike, Mike. Mike yeah, Mike, yeah, Mike, okay. Mike. Uh, the actor is Finn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, that that kid ain't got it. There was a supercut on Twitter, or Instagram of him <laughs> acting in this season versus acting as like a, a yeah, he a, lost like five year old boy. He, lo- he lost. It's it. gone. It's fucking gone. Yeah, I could tell you that during Ghostbusters Afterlife, where I'm watching it, going, "How did this kid get cast? Like, why is he in this?" And I swear yeah. to God. I swear to God, Winona Ryder must just crush like 17 quaaludes and then just chase <laughs> it down with like, I don't even know what, 12 eight balls because it just seems like the car's running, but no one's behind the wheel. They don't give her much to do either. I'm telling you, the issue, the writer's room is the issue with this show more than more than any of the talent. Christ. Oh, and is the guy from Mad About You still alive? Do we fucking know what happened to Paul Reiser? <laughs> Paul Reiser. And then we talk. I have no Paul, idea. The I Paul can't tell you Reiser Renaissance. The he is phenomenal in Stranger Things. He's phenomenal in The Boys. And then you just leave him in some cell in Nevada with a whole bunch of army guards that have no way to get out of the desert because all of their equipment is blown up and they get fucking bested by some six dudes in a fucking van that's dressed up like a pizza. It's yeah, I know it's bad, AJ. It's a bad show. Also, all the scenes that have that guy, Paul Reiser, I guess is his name, and Papa, who's <laughs> Papa's horrible. Paul Reiser yes. is great. And like every scene that they're in together, there's such a disparity of like how good of a job they're doing. You don't like Matthew Modine as <laughs> the fucking doctor? Super hard to watch. Well, just cause one of them is like this weird, like cartoon yeah. character guy with a hairdo right right and then the other guy just talks the way that like regular people talk and he's like a regular character that like is human and it's just like what is going on and then there's 11 who's just weirding everybody out. Right, it's right, like what's going right. on in this room right now well that's the issue with the maya hawk character too is as great as she is they write her unrealistically like she's not that's robin. max no 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 the um robin Oh, right. Like some of her quips at this point, they're like leaning so heavily on the quips. You're like, this is not what actual humans think or say, especially in situations like these. Like, what are we doing? Yeah, tough Awful. stuff. Well, if it's going to be bad, at least it's very long. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, 
The boys. Boys. I was going to go right into the boys. Season three finale. Start your engines. Outstanding. Outstanding. No spoilers on this one because uh, I don't think as many people will have seen it as quickly uh, as Stranger Things. But the boys, man, if you're not watching you, you it, gotta you got to get over gotta the over the top hyper violence and just rampant sexual intercourse. And if you can get past that and see yeah. it for what it really is, it, it's the best show on TV right now. Second, second to the bear. Uh, yeah, I, I could, I, I could argue the boys and severance and yeah, I mean, that's, that's the short list right now. And the boys, you know, what's funny. We talked about Logan earlier. I feel like, Logan was like jarring to me when I first saw it in theaters because it was so violent. But now after the boys, I feel like that may have softened Logan a bit for me. I think that might be one of the factors that Logan didn't hit as hard because after the boys, seeing superhero That's, violence yeah. is like, yeah, I think they call that being radicalized. <laughs> yeah. Desensitized is the word that I would choose. Thank you very much. But yeah, no, the boys is outstanding. And, you know, we've been praising for weeks Anthony Starr as Homelander only to find out Recently, he's from New Zealand. He's so good. I had no clue. I Zero. just, I just, I only know him as Homelander. And then I saw like a behind the scenes clip on Instagram that popped up and he had an accent. I was like, what the fuck is going on? Don't you hate that? Uh, it's, I mean, the last time I had something like that happen to me was Matthew Reese in The Americans when I found out he was Welsh. Uh, same thing. Like their performances are so good. Uh, you don't know? You wouldn't know. You know what rattled me? Speaking of like casting and how underdeveloped brains work, uh, when I realized that the Olsen twins, like it wasn't just one person on Full House, but they interchanged them based on like labor laws. I yeah, yeah. Get my mind around that till I was like fourteen. That's funny. Um, but yeah, when I first found out Christian Bale was Welsh, I believe as well. That blew my mind. I forget what I had seen him in where he did American, but that's all I knew him as. And then I found that out and that was also jarring. Mine was, the mine was uh, I don't know the actor's name, but Rick Grimes from Walking Dead. Oh, Andrew Lincoln. Which was my first introduction to that actor. I know he had been in other stuff before, but when I first saw an interview with him, I was rattled. He's he's British, right? Super sneaky, sneaky he's British. Brit. Big time sneaky yep. Brit. Yep. Yeah. Man, it's yep. crazy. It'll get you. Uh, but yeah, phenomenal show. Um, an example of a show that might rinse and reuse but the way that is paced and way they've the way that they kind of throw in rug pulls and uh just mind-blowing plot twists helps kind of keep this thing moving at at, at, like a train yeah i think it's i think it's it's like the anti-stranger things in the sense that they burn through narrative so fast because they know that they they have confidence in the writing that they can make up more. So, yeah, you're right in the sense that some of the themes may rinse and repeat, and obviously Homelander maintains, you know, maintains his status as sort of the antagonist and a constant threat. Um, but the they burn through storylines quickly. Uh, it's it's paced so well so that there are, you know, jar you know jaw dropping reveals or changes every episode or two. Versus Stranger Things, we just watched fucking. 18 hours of show and I don't even know like what actually happened. So yes, the boys is just one of the best shows, if not the best show on television, hands down. Uh, we can jump right to what are we going to watch soon? I know AJ, you have something that you saw get announced that you're excited to watch. What's that? <laughs> Two things, baby. Reliving my childhood. First thing, actually both on Disney plus, but I'm not a, a Disney adult or weirdo. 
is uh, National Treasure uh, is coming up with an original series on Disney Plus, uh, The Edge of History. And I am I am <laughs> edging, waiting for this show to come out. I cannot wait. Uh, I love, like we said, Indiana Jones, Tomb Raider, sure. all of that stuff. Huge fans of. So I'm 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 really into this. Nicolas Cage will not be in it, but some of the characters from the original movies will be in it. And the hope is is that um, it will naturally kind of progress into a feature length movie to bring Nicolas Cage back in the starring role. If there's enough people out there to watch it, AJ, I did not know that you were such a fan of like anthropological thrillers. This is I'm learning something oh. about you. Anything that Jerry Buckheimer touches is fucking gold. I, you know, I watched those National Treasure films for the first time a year or two ago. Uh, I didn't, I didn't watch them when they were first coming out for whatever reason. They, I missed them, so I went back and watched them. Okay, they're fine. They're not like great, but I personally <laughs> like them based on my just the way I am. I like Nick Cage, uh, as we've talked about when I reviewed the Nick Cage movie. I like Diane Kruger a lot. And I think Ed Harris was in the second one, which is part of the reason I wanted to watch it, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, they're, they're serviceable uh, thrillers, or adventures, I should say. The other mo- the other TV show on Disney Plus is they are making a TV series based on the hit movie The Santa Claus, starring Tim Allen, which is one of my favorite Christmas movies of all time. I watched that original Santa Claus uh, when it came out, and I remember that being very good. I don't think I've watched any of the follow-ups, though. Oh, the other ones are atrocious um oh. but the hope of this series is that tim allen will star in it oh he is um, it? okay and he's an aging santa claus and he needs to find a mrs claus replacement oh no he did that in the second or the third one. Oh, okay because he was divorced remember the first one very graphic vaguely yeah it was i don't even know <laughs> what i was gonna say but uh tim the toolman taylor is gonna be back at his his role uh as scott calvin and i am Jazzed. I can't get him back for Buzz Lightyear, but you can get him back as a Santa Claus. Oh, we should have talked about that. There's, a, We talked about it last uh, episode on why he was not cast, and Tim has some choice words and thoughts about that. But Yeah, we, we weren't sure what it, the reason was, and turns out after we recorded that, a news story came out where Tim said that he didn't feel like it reflected his buzz uh, at all, because his buzz was the toy, and this movie was not about the toy. And so he kind of just wasn't feeling it. And with that, <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to follow on Instagram at Should I Go See It and pick up some merch at Should I Go See It. Redbubble.com. 